Welcome to Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Just for Keeps, the goalkeepers. I'm your host, Carter Hockman, and my guest today is Anaheim Ducks prospect and current Long Island University goaltender, Garrett Metcalf. Garrett, thanks for joining me today. Yep, Carter, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so I'm just going to kick us off with the same question I'm going to ask everyone on here, which is when did you, Garrett, when did you realize that you wanted to be a goaltender and, and just when did it all start for you? Uh, to be honest, I think it was kind of in my blood. Uh, my family was really into hockey. My dad ref professional hockey for 26 years in the NHL and the old IHL, which is now known as the American Hockey League or the AHL. Um, and my older brother, Skyler, played and to be honest, he used to tape pillows to my legs. He would give me a baseball glove and one of his player gloves on my blocker hand and a player stick and threw a helmet on and told me to stand in front of the net and told me not to move. So uh, I kind of give credit to him. If I were to put an age range on it, I would say that I fully became a goalie when I was probably 12. Up until that time, I would, you know, switch off between player or goalie. But around 12 was probably when I was fully committed to being a goalie. So growing up in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, um, where we know winter sports are already huge, the closest you would have been at the time, you know, the Avalanche or the Arizona Coyotes. What was, you know, what was the hockey culture like growing up for you? Yeah, Utah's not really a hockey hotbed. Um, you know, we've had a few guys come out, Trevor Lewis, who's now, he just signed with Winnipeg the other day. Um, so congrats to him. I think he spent 14 seasons with the LA Kings. Um, and he's pretty much it as far as a guy that's grown up in Utah, stayed in Utah until he was 14 or 15 and then, uh, made a pro career out of it. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough that my dad, uh, ref the game at a very high level. So I was around it all the time. We have the Utah Grizzlies, who's in the East Coast Hockey League now, I believe that back in the day they were in the old IHL. Um, it used to be the Salt Lake Golden Eagles. So I would go to those games all the time and watch my dad referee hockey. Um, and it was just really cool, fascinating to be a part of. Um, and then, fortunately, I got linked up with a goalie coach by the name of Mark Sample. I was just kind of a young, fat, lazy goalie um, in my earlier days, to be honest with you. And he kind of set me on the track for success and gave me the technical skills needed to be a, a pretty good goaltender, at least fundamentally wise. And it kind of just took off from there. So you mentioned he got you on track and he got you on track early. You moved out when you were 15 years old. Where did you go initially? And then what was the journey like from there leaving so early? Yeah. So like I said, Utah's not a hockey hotbed. So the teams that I played for there, and I shouldn't say that it's it's continuing to grow. But when I was playing there, it wasn't a hotbed. Um, and normally there weren't many kids that were making it out of Utah that stayed, you know, 17, 18 years old in Utah locally. Most of the kids that were making it to, you know, higher levels were moving away at a young age. So that was kind of the path that I decided to take. Um, my older brother, Skyler, went to prep school when he was probably 13 or 14 which was really young. Um, and so that made my dad, based on his experience, that made my dad a little nervous about sending me off on such a, a young age. But I was a lot closer. I went to Omaha, Nebraska. Um, 
I actually went to the Omaha Lancers uh, main camp when I was 15. Just kind of want to get my feet wet and see what junior hockey and the USHL was about and compare myself to kids my age and, you know, the top kids a few years older than I was. Um, and the AAA organization there saw me at that camp and invited me to come play for Omaha AAA. While I was there for half a year, I ended up leaving right around Thanksgiving time. Uh, things just weren't really working out there for me personally. And my parents came down and picked me up and I found a home with the Colorado Rampage in Colorado Springs, Colorado, right next to the Air Force Base there in Monument. And um, I spent a year and a half there before going to play in the USHL. So since living in Utah, Nebraska, and Colorado, you've you've moved around a bunch. You've been to Wisconsin, Iowa, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and now you're currently in New York. Does the hockey does the hockey culture change for you depending on where you go? No, not at all. And it's funny you bring up hockey culture because people always ask me, you know, how hard is it joining new teams and et cetera? What's it like living in different states? And I think the hockey culture is great. I think uh, you know, the reason I've been able to move to all these different states uh, without a loss of enthusiasm is because the people um, in the hockey community are so supportive. Uh, you know, you have billet families when you're younger playing AAA hockey, and they're absolutely wonderful. I haven't had one bad experience living with the billet family. I keep in touch with every billet family, every billet family that I've I've lived with, um, and that's accumulated all, over the times. Uh, so I, I've had nothing but good experiences um, throughout my career so far. And just for those of us who don't know, and, and for those who are listening who don't know, could you explain what those families are? Yeah, so a built family is essentially, uh, you know, you move away from home when you're 15. You're not going to go live in an apartment by yourself. One, it's not really legal. And I didn't have family in Omaha. So the organization that you're uh, with sets up what's called a built family. So they almost kind of adopt you and you live with them. You go to a school that they would go to or that's in their area. Um, and they take care of you. They feed you, kind of help you grow up. Um, you know, it's a, it's a family away from your family and you really become one with that family or you become as close to that family as you really so choose to. Um, you know, I know guys that when they live with built families, they just kind of chill in their rooms and do their own thing. And the built families are okay with that or other, other guys really become part of the family. And I know that I was more one of those people, uh, watching movies with my built family or, you know, playing with the kids that they have. Sometimes they're younger, sometimes they're closer in age with you. Um, but yeah, so really just a family away from your family that keeps you on track and keeps you out of trouble. So you kind of mentioned it before. Um, what What's the process like for a young goaltender in terms of just looking for a team alone? Because uh, I'm sure it's different. It's a different process from, from those who, who skate out. Yeah, I mean, when you're younger, I think it's generally the same. I would say the biggest key points would be going somewhere where you're going to play and log minutes. Um, you know, everyone's looking to play on the best teams all the time. And especially when you're younger, it doesn't really matter. It, it matters to play. Um, and you want to push yourself. But if you go and play on some of, you know, the best teams in a different state, uh, looking to be on the best teams because you think that's the best for your development, it's really not because you're going to play less minutes. You're not going to, you know, be a go-to guy in certain situations. And to be honest, you're not really getting scouted uh, to junior hockey or the NCAA when you're 12. So, uh, you know, I would say the youngest age you start to get scouted when it matters would probably be around 
that 15, 16, 17-year-old year. So really just playing on teams that are going to help with your development. And what I mean by that are playing in high-pressure situations, logging a lot of minutes, uh, and being on a place in a team that you feel comfortable and are wanted. It's an interesting point that you bring up because I feel like a lot of a lot of young players, especially goalkeepers and goaltenders alike, want to do what's most appealing, which is playing for that top program, playing with the best kids in the country. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you yourself are going to get a lot of playing time. So you can kind of it's it's almost a reality check in, in where you it's it's very attractive. Yes. But are you going to play, you know? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, if you're talking about kids that are 13, 14, 15, even that upper 16 year old year, at least in terms of hockey, and I'm sure other sports are relatable, but for hockey in general, if why would you go to a team, you know, that's the best in the country and the nation? And, you know, yeah, it'd be great to win a national championship, but say you're only going to play five games, 10 games, or, you know, you're facing 10 to 20 shots a game versus you play for one of these lower tier teams. You can stay in your home state or closer to your home state, be with your family longer, develop, mature, and you're facing 30, 40, sometimes maybe even 50 shots a night. Like you're only going to develop by facing more shots and playing against better players on better teams. And then once you get older, you get the development, you get the experience, then try to make those upper echelon teams uh, and be the go-to guy because you don't really want to play there and be a second string. As you know, as a goalie, it's very hard to make it to high levels when you're the second guy. Because as we both know really well, you know, it's not it's not a position that you're that you're subbing in and out. You're either you're usually either the guy or you're not. So it's that's that's where it's tough. And that's you're right. That's where you need to make that decision where, all right, I could be challenged or I could go for what's attractive and and I won't develop as much. But. I think one of the things I think one of the things that that doesn't really get talked about in terms of you know development is goaltenders and goalkeepers need to build a certain level of trust with their defenders and the rest of their team for that matter, and that really takes time to cultivate. So, what's my question would be what what's that process for you like mentally when you jump from team to team? Yeah, I don't think it changes for me as I've gotten older, especially now in college. I believe in my ability and. Um... I think I've created a decent name for myself in the hockey world. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm the best goalie in, in college hockey. That's evident. Um, but I think that I, if you're talking about building trust, I think that I do that through my practice habits and how I show up every day to the rink and prepare for practice and how intense I am during practice. Um, I think if you're choosing to be a goaltender, uh, you hate to get scored on. Uh, that's just how I look at it. So, I treat every practice like a game in that sense that I hate getting scored on. And I don't just say that I really do. Um, And then kind of away from the ice, you want to be a good teammate. You want to be a good guy. So, you know, if you are stuck in a situation where you aren't the starter and you're the backup, or even if you are the starter and you're not playing, just being the best teammate you possibly can be being engaged during the game, um, keeping it light in the locker room, uh, but not too light that maybe you, you know, take away from a player's focus to do well in the game. Um, and I think those are all things that you can build trust with your your players, um, and even your coaches. And then obviously just consistency. If you, you know, it goes back to practice. If you can consistently show up on a daily basis and do your job, you're only building trust day in and day out with your team and with your coaches. 
If you guys are just joining us, this is the Just for Keeps podcast, all about goalkeepers. I'm Carter Hockman. I'm currently joined by Long Island University goaltender Garrett Metcalf. And Garrett, we sort of talked about it, but hockey is a unique sport in the fact where you aren't required to go to college in order to play professionally. So the journey to the NHL specifically is different for everyone. You were drafted by the Anaheim Ducks in 2015. What was the process for you leading up to you getting drafted? And then what were the next steps for you afterwards? Yeah, so it's kind of a whirlwind. Um, as we've been talking about, you want to go places where you're going to play. Um, and when I left Omaha, to be honest, I was just fortunate enough to find a spot to play. And um, I did initially when I left um, that second half of the year, I played for the Colorado Rampage uh, U16 AAA. And then the next year was my first year of U18 AAA. Uh, and my goalie partner at the time was Jacob Weatherly, and he was very good, uh, pretty highly touted prospect, had tendered in the North American Hockey League, had been drafted in the United States Hockey League. Um, so it was a pretty good goalie, and I only played, I'd say, like maybe 10 to 12 games that year um, and just got a, a camp invite to the Madison Capitals, and me and my dad decided that that was the one camp I was going to do that summer and uh, get a feel for it again. And uh, try to make a name for myself, and then I was going to go back, play my second year and last year of minor hockey with the Rampage. Um, and I ended up making the 30-man roster, um, and then I went back to 30-man camp and made uh, the final roster. And it was funny because Jacob was drafted to the same team that I ended up making, and I remember, uh, you know, kids uh, that I used to train with in the gym would say, like, you know, you had one good weekend, uh, you're not going to stick type of thing. And you kind of laugh and kind of shrug it off. But for me, I just internalized that and used it as motivation. Like, screw these kids. I'm, you know, I'm not just going to be there for a weekend and I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to do well. Um, and I felt like I handled it pretty well. It was a first year team in the United States Hockey League. They had been there 20 or so years ago, but basically start up from scratch, which is what we're doing here at Long Island this year. And ended up having pretty good numbers, a pretty good year halfway through. Uh, I committed to uh, the University of Massachusetts Lowell, and that summer I was drafted uh, to Anaheim in the sixth round. So kind of a complete 180-degree turn as far as my path was going. Not that it's not great to play AAA hockey, especially for the Rampage, which is a great organization, but to go from AAA hockey to the highest level of junior hockey you can play without losing your college eligibility and then eventually being drafted in the NHL. Um, it was just kind of a crazy eight months. UMass Lowell, you know, it's actually where we met about five, maybe even six years ago now, which is crazy to even think about. And I want to backtrack a little bit leading up to um, getting to UMass Lowell. So just, and you sort of mentioned it, you sort of, you sort of um, just breezed past it there for a sec, but talk to me about your decision to play college hockey and then in your recruitment process as well, because goalkeepers and goaltenders get recruited very differently than the rest. Yeah, so, well, I mean, the reason I chose to go to college and the college hockey route is I think that an education is very important in today's day and age. Um, you know, whether anybody plays in the NHL for 10 to 15 years, there's life after hockey, and you never know what's going to happen. You could have a, a career-ending injury, and that's it. You're done, and you're looking for, for something to fall back on. I think an education is a great route. And also, you mentioned goalies. They say that Goalies develop the latest of anyone. And now, obviously, um, you know, you have people that, that break that rule. But for the most part, if you look in the NHL, it's usually the forwards or the youngest 
defensemen and then goalies as far as when they develop really into their own. Uh, someone like Carter Hart would definitely break that rule. But uh, the the route going through college essentially gives you, I want to say, well, two to four extra years, really, because you can play junior hockey until you're 20, 21 years old-ish. And the same goes for major junior. But a major junior, once that 20, 21-year-old year is over, you're done. Where college, you can play juniors, and then you can go to college after. So a lot of times you see 21-year-old freshmen. So you really can play until you're 24, 25 uh, years old. So that gives you four more years to develop, to mature, to come into your own, to get stronger, um, and to really prepare yourself for the pro game. Uh, major juniors kind of got a different route now, and I know they have Canadian colleges. But I would say that uh, the majority of Canadian colleges are not as good as Division One college hockey. And then um, you talk about the recruiting process. Um, yeah, it was great, obviously. For any UMass Lowell fan out there, they had Connor Hellebuck, who's a stud in the NHL now. Um, they had Kevin Boyle there, who has had a pretty good pro career uh, since transferring from Amherst. So just very appealing for me as far as goalies are concerned. Um, it was kind of a, you know, a goalie mecca and a, a place where goalies were developing into, um, you know, great professional and NHL players. And that's obviously the path that I wanted to take. So that was a pretty big selling point on one, why I wanted to go there. Um, and it's also beautiful. Uh, the Songa Center, uh, since leaving there, is probably one of the best and coolest rinks I've ever played at in my entire life, especially college hockey. Um, so there was a lot of big selling points, but just the fact that they produce goaltenders uh, and the school is so beautiful and the rink was so nice were some of the big ones. So, and I talked, I said, I've talked about this in my last podcast and Garrett, you know, my story, you know about my story pretty well. Um, but um, in fact, very few get to play right away after they take that first step to the next. It can be incredibly frustrating and it's, it's another big mental hurdle that a lot of goalkeepers need to overcome. So I just from knowing you, I know what your story is like, but talk to talk to everyone else about what your first year of college hockey was like at UMass Lowell. Yeah, so um, I unfortunately, the last game in the USHL before I went to uh, UMass Lowell, I ended up hurting my knee and they didn't really know what was wrong. Um, turns out I just sprained my MCL. But the problem is when you don't do rehab and you, you're not proactive about something, it can continue to get worse. Uh, so that injury, I was probably out. I would say four to six months when I eventually got to Lowell, I was rehabbing it, trying to get back, obviously. But one, you're trying to make a jump to a higher level where the play is bigger, faster, stronger. Uh, and you're also trying to come back from this injury. Um, so the start wasn't great. I didn't play. Uh, we had four goalies that year. Um, so I didn't play. I didn't dress a lot of games. It was just kind of practice. And my expectations were very high for myself uh, based on what I had done in the USHL and kind of some of the things that um, the coaches had told me going in. And uh, I didn't think those expectations were really met. And obviously that's not always going to happen. Uh, but one of the big, biggest reasons I decided to leave and transfer uh, was one, yes, because I didn't play as much as I wanted to, but two, um, I didn't feel that I was treated uh, very well there. There was a lot of things that didn't really make sense. Um, you know, I was on a great scholarship there. Uh, and just like little weird things, I've, I've come to the realization over my, my years of playing college hockey, it's, it's the kids that aren't playing that you really need to look after um, and make sure that their mental well-being is good. And that's not necessarily talking to them about the game or the sport that they're playing. It's more, you know, hey, Johnny, how's school going or how's your family doing or how's this, how's that? 
because I think at the end of the day that there's a lot more stress on those kids and they feel like they're walking on eggshells a lot of the time, uh, especially because they're not playing and then the coach isn't really talk to, talking to them. So they start to overthink a lot of things, things that probably shouldn't be overlooked. Um, but yeah, that was basically why I decided to leave. And I had a great experience at UMass Lowell from a social aspect and education aspect. I loved my teammates. Uh, you know, we won the hockey's championship that year, which is something I will never forget. Um, but the, the biggest reason is I just didn't feel like I was um, treated very good there. Um, and, and as I mentioned, some playing time as well. Well, I'm, I'm more than glad that you stopped by UMass Lowell because we've uh, we've cultivated quite a great friendship out of it. Um, and, you know, not only mentally uh, do goalkeepers go through a lot, uh, as we just talked about, but we put our bodies through quite a uh, quite a bit as well. Certainly more than than people realize, I think. And with that come the injuries. I know just from knowing you um, for as long as I have now that you've had quite the journey with with injuries. But for everyone else, just describe what you went through, because it's something that really doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, so as I mentioned, I sprained my MCL the last uh, game in the USHL. So I go into Lowell Hurt um, and then I transfer. And at the time, the rule was when you transfer, you have to sit out a year. Division one to division one, you have to redshirt a year. Um, so I did that. And I was I was looking forward to that because, as we just mentioned, with college hockey, you can get bigger, faster, stronger, all these things, take care of school. Um, so that's really what I did. I had a different workout plan than the rest of my team. Uh, I would skate extra with our goalie coach, and I was really determined and looking forward to kind of having a big comeback year and to get stronger and to work on the things that I felt like my game lacked. And I was doing that for, you know, a good four or five months when I first got there and went home for Christmas break and came back. And uh, I just I couldn't sleep. Uh, at first, I thought it was the twin beds that we were sleeping on there at school. Um, so I got a new mattress and that didn't really help. So I went and got, uh, I talked to my athletic trainer and she was, you know, moving my legs in a certain position. And she was like, I think you might have some torn labrums. Um, so as a red shirt, she just told me not to practice anymore to keep me hopefully pain free, which didn't happen, but to, you know, prevent any further pain. And then I got the MRIs done, which confirmed um, that I had two torn labrums. So I actually flew up to Vail to see Dr. Philippon to have the, the surgeries done. And the reason I went up there is he's basically, you know, the god of this hip surgery. He was the one that started it um, pretty recently, to be honest. I'd say with, within the last 10 to 12 years. Um, but I found out I had a cam and pincer impingement, um, which would be very hard for me to talk about and explain in a, uh, a way that people could understand it through a podcast. But uh, cam, pincer impingement. I had two torn labrums. I have hip dysplasia. And then they said I had arthritis in my pelvis. Uh, and this was pretty much the same on both sides. The problem with your hips is um, you can't do both surgeries at the same time, because if you do, you're immobile. You can't walk. So you'd have to be in a wheelchair. And the problem with being in a wheelchair is when you're sitting up, your hips are what they call as inflection, um, which is not good for recovery after having uh, hip surgery. And there are some doctors that will do them both at the same time, but uh, time, but Dr. Philpon wasn't a fan of that. So I ended up doing them six weeks apart. And then the recovery time after that was about six months. And, you know, I, I was glad that I did the surgery, but I, I think the timing of it was really devastating. As I mentioned, was working so hard for something. And then, you know, for me to take 10 steps back, it felt like uh, it was just kind of what was the work that I was putting in before really, you know, what was it really for? 
what was that yeah like what was your rehabbing what was that what was it like for you just finally getting back on the ice after i don't even know how long you were out yeah like i said it was probably close to six months uh it was really weird getting back on the ice just because you hadn't skated before and then you know talk about the first time i dropped into a butterfly again it was it was scary you didn't want to do it um just you didn't want to hurt yourself again and obviously you felt uncomfortable um and then once I did that it was fine I could skate again go on the butterfly I I just didn't really feel myself for a while um I remember my coach asked me if I could start the first game of the the year um at Mercier's against Bowling Green and I said yeah I could and that was a real uh shock to me um you know we ended up losing I don't know the final score but something like eight nothing and after the second period, I'm, I'm not even joking. I could not move. My hips hurt so bad. My groins hip hurt so bad. I was not in game shape. Um, so that was a big reality check for me that I'm a lot farther off than I thought I was. Um, not that I hadn't been putting in the work, but it just goes to show you how long the recovery process is for such an extensive surgery. So how long would you say it took before you got back to not only 100% physically, but mentally as well? From the start to the end? Um, probably, probably nine months, maybe even more, to be honest, because like I said, that first year that I was back, I didn't really feel myself. There was definitely weekends where I played well. Um, but I, you know, I struggled with having groin problems and my hips hurting. Um, and to be honest, it hasn't really been until this year that I've been injury free. Even last year, I had a couple stretches where you know, I had a bad groin or a bad hip that we'd have to wrap up and you kind of have to fight through the pain. Um, where this year I've, I've been, I've been great. Haven't had to wear uh, much of hip or groin wraps anymore. So overall, I would say that, you know, the process of getting back has probably been close to two years. Um, and that's not to make an excuse or anything for my play before. I was definitely fine to play, but feeling back to normal and feeling really good and confident about my game and my body, I would say probably two years. And now you're you're onto your third school, um, which is their first year as a program. What's that been like for you uh, playing on Long Island? Did you did you come in already in a leadership role, especially as a goaltender? Yeah, I think that's just kind of in my DNA. I think that's kind of uh, who I am as a person. Um, I like to be the guy that people can lean on, and I like to be a guy that talks in the locker room. And I think part of the reason I do that is because it holds myself accountable. Um, if I'm telling other people, you know, the way that things should be in a competitive and good culture, that means that I'm setting the standard. That means that I have to show the others that if I'm preaching it, that I might as well be doing it or you better, better be doing it. Um, so, and like I mentioned before, Madison was a first year team, but that was my first year playing junior hockey. So I wouldn't say that I was really in that leadership role, but having been through college hockey before, this is now my fifth season in college. Um, I think that I'm more of a leader on the team, uh, having to add balance, everything that goes with college, um, you know, education, social life, practice games, uh, you name it. So I think that I'm just kind of a, a steady, steady body in the locker room that uh, is a shoulder for the younger guys to lean on. And we've sort of talked about it before, but what would you say is just the biggest challenge for a goaltender joining a new team? Um. Man, that's a good question. Um, I guess just not really knowing what to expect. Um, you know, anytime you go to a new team, you don't really know your players. You don't really know 
what style of play uh, they are. Are they offensive defensemen? Are they a de- uh, defensive defenseman? So really, it's just trying to get used to the players. And like we mentioned before on the podcast, it's really all about building trust. And I'm trying to build my teammates' trust. But at the same time, they kind of have to build their trust within me. Uh, so it's really just trying to get comfortable with one another on and off the ice early on. Um, and then trying to, you know, use that to our advantage when the games finally start. Garrett, if you could give one piece of advice to young, well, you're still the young goaltender, but younger goaltenders out there in regards to overcoming the injuries, overcoming the mental hurdles, the slow and and very steady grind, what advice would that be? Uh, To keep fighting through it. Um, In the moment when you're going through it, it may seem uh, like a pain or it may seem like a burden or like a long time is passing, but you know, as you just mentioned, we've known each other for maybe five years now, and that seems like yesterday that it happened. And I just talked through a whole bunch of things that I've been through in that short period of time. So, you know, there's always brighter days ahead. And if you continue to put in the work every single day and try to get 1% uh, better every single day, um, you, you'll be that much closer to your ultimate goal. And, you know, everyone wants to play, you know, in the MLS or in the NHL. And, Uh, I'm not stopping you from doing that, but being realistic with yourself too um, and your skill set and also being realistic with yourself and the work that you put in. um, I think oftentimes people think that they work a heck of a lot harder than they actually do. Um, So just continue to put in the work, set your, set your goals and your dreams high and know that the days are going to go by past. So don't take them for granted. Guys, if you don't know, Garrett has his own podcast, a podcast I've actually been a guest on myself called Adversity University. Why don't you tell everyone what this really, this truly great podcast is all about? Yeah, so Adversity University um, is basically a podcast where we interview highly successful people, highly successful athletes that have gone through some hardships to reach the peak of their profession. Um, It's been a wonderful experience so far i've i've really enjoyed it uh, the biggest thing for us is we learn something new every single week um and you know we've had some pretty great guests on and it's great just to really hear their stories and hear what their advice to people are or you know what hardships they've gone through it really puts life into perspective with some of the small things i mentioned that i've gone through like people on that podcast have gone through far worse things than i have so um it really makes you be able to sit back look at your life through a different lens and understand that we're so grateful uh, or we should be so grateful. And it's a privilege to live the, you know, the great life that we do. Garrett, as always, it's, it's really a blast talking to you. And, and I love learning from you every single day. And I love keeping up with, with Adverse University. And I can't, uh, I can't wait to hear who you guys talk to next. Yep. Carter, I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited you decided to start your own podcast, obviously a pretty unique one, but I wish you nothing but success in the future. This has been another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. I'm your host, Carter Hawkman. We'll see you next time.